So I guess I can um, get started. Um, I also want to be cognizant of everyone's time. Um, thank you for joining. Uh, so I'm Cedric. I work for the MITRE Corporation. Uh, prior to MITRE, I've been with MITRE for six years now. So prior to MITRE, I was at Sandia National Labs in Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico. Uh, so I support cybersecurity. I uh, did a lot of adversary emulation when I was at Sandia National Labs. And um, you know, when you're at places at Sandia, you often don't know what you're supporting. You're doing a lot of cool stuff. And then I migrate over to MITRE, and I'm starting to see a lot of integration, right? Um, and long story short, I was actually supporting weapon systems and defense critical infrastructure, cybersecurity, right, to support the Department of Defense. So anyway, so here's some, if you guys don't know what MITRE is, uh, basically uh, MITRE is a not-for-profit organization um, that actually organizes uh, six FFRDCs. Uh, so we are, really our motto is solving problems for a safer world. That's, you know, a huge uh, commitment and mission set, right? Uh, but think of MITRE as that nexus between the public sector, private sector, and academic institutions, right? So we have folks operating within those cells, and as a corporation, we get to really focus on how do we strategically solve problems, right? Um, so you may have problem sets within the DOD that the DHS may have, right? So instead of recreating the wheel or you know, having duplicate spinning on solving the same problems at MITRE, you can basically strategically uh, solve the problem and just pivot it towards those organizations within those departments. So it, it works, and it works, right? Um, I think um, I'm one of the guys that try to help folks with collaborating and communicating more um, because often governments like to keep things stovepipes and that's understandable. So you also have to respect that as well. So here's really the motivation behind Crown Jewels and House of Ice, yes. Um, so I think you guys are tracking, um, we have a lot of threat actors that are focused on targeting our critical infrastructure, systems that operate power, um, heating and ventilation, our water systems, sewage systems, transportation systems, fueling systems, right? Um, and they're doing that because those systems weren't originally designed to be uh, hardened, right? They were designed to work, right? Uh, they were designed to be available, right? Not as opposed to secured. And our adversaries know that a lot of the systems that we depend on for lethality and for the defense and just operating functions ride on critical infrastructure. So instead of hitting the systems that we depend on for operating our missions, they can just hit our power systems. <laughs> you get the same effect. But the problem with the control systems that operate critical infrastructure, it's a lot of things. It's like systems of systems of systems, and it's super complex. So when I came to MITRE, um, I, was, I got a big role. It was just like, hey, I have several defense agencies within the Department of Defense that's trying to reflect the things that really enable their missions from a critical infrastructure standpoint. So like out of the complex nature of critical infrastructure, 
what are the things that our customers need to focus on? And I turn to Crown Jewels analysis. So think of Crown Jewels analysis as a way to reflect the things that's most critical to surviving mission sets, or mission survivability. Or, um, so here's their agenda, um, you know, the mission need. Uh, really, I touched on the complexity of critical infrastructure, but I'll hit on a little bit more. Also want to provide information on MITRE's mission assurance process. Crown Jewels is, is a part of it. I'm going to give you guys an overview of what the process is, some simple resource questions uh, that you can provide for your customers. Um, also going to be talking about mission functions, mission functional architectures, um, which is a, also, also a great um, after effect of doing Crown Jewels. And I'm also going to be discussing managing subjectivity during the actual criticality scoring. So if you can imagine, right, you have systems that are operated by various humans. They may have their own anecdotal viewpoints on how the system works. So within the Crown Jewels analysis, we figured out a way to really push the anecdotal reasons to more of objective reasons, right? Um, and it takes collaboration in order to do that. Um, so I think I touched this. Um, you know, ICS, industrial control systems, they weren't originally designed to be survivable. Um, our threat actors are uh, not only targeting our systems, but believe it or not, in 2019, um, ODNI, the Office of um, uh, the Directorate of uh, National Intelligence, actually put out uh, a paper that talked about certain threat actors that were literally mapping our critical infrastructure. In a lot of cases, they may know more than what we know. Um, and that's scary, right? Um, so what I'm doing on the back end uh, with my customers, I'm helping them not only understand what assets support their control systems, but what things are most important. You know, so I also like to do the counter intel, op, right? If I was a Thractor, what things would I contest to make thing, to make you know our customers have a bad day? You could use that because you can really prioritize money and dollars and detection engineering capabilities. It's sky's limit. Um, so, um, but we also need to also understand um, mitigations, right? From a technical and non-technical standpoint, they exist, but not all mitigations are valuable and feasible. Um, also, some mitigations cost more than others. So there's also, you know, after you figured out what things are most important, you also have to do the analysis to figure out which mitigations are valuable, which things are feasible, which things make sense. <laughs> Just because a mitigation exists doesn't mean that it's going to work on an actual web system platform or defense critical infrastructure, right? So there's that. Some images that really conceptualize the complexity of control systems enabling critical infrastructure. So on the far left, that's like an example view of a SCADA system that's really overseeing uh, a part of the national grid, uh, which you have in the middle, um, you have a, uh, some Circuit breakers uh, that's um, basically maintaining an actual system. It's a lot, right? And then what you have on the far right is a data flow diagram of an electrical distribution system. Um, 
basically, and this is just electrical, right? Um, as I'm doing this analysis, I'm starting to see this for this same type of complexity for various control systems on all the critical infrastructure sectors defined by CISA. It's a lot, and it can be overbearing for our customers, right? Um, but what's important, what I'm trying to um, instill is out of all these systems, there is a way to reflect the things that's most critical, which is crown jewels. Um, if you guys aren't familiar, this is like the Purdue model. Um, so one of my daily customers, uh, he's, he operates in OSCANS. Uh, he's the Cyber Warfare Director, John Garska. Love him to death. Um, he's been uh, really promoting uh, this visual to show his peers um, how technology works from an OT, IT standpoint, right? So at the, and you also have to think about this too, right? All this um, modernization of technology is occurring at the IT layer, right? But what's happening, which is great, don't get me wrong, but what folks often don't talk about is the systems that our IT systems rely on is here. <laughs> so you have systems that basically operate your power, your water, your fuel systems, right? From a HMI standpoint, they're gonna be here. And then you have human receiving interfaces, uh, supervisor control, data acquisitions, they're here. Then you have base control. So there's actual embedded logic controls, PLCs, RTUs, that basically push logic to open a breaker or open and close a valve, right? Or et cetera, right? They're here, and then you have the, basically the actual process of devices, right, that actually provide the physical interaction that interact with the physical world, your sensors, your actuators. All those systems and technologies can be manipulated in the cyberspace. <laughs> and I threat actors know that. <laughs> and what's happening, what frustrates me is that, um, you know, a lot of our, palming and dollars, they're going to here. And we should be taking some of that piece of the pie and focusing it down here. We should. It's gonna take time. Um, so anyway. <laughs> um, this is a view of the mission assurance process uh, that might have put out. It's a system engineering process. Uh, so really it's focused on you know, uh, mission resiliency um, and what the process is. Uh, so basically the first step is establishing your mission priorities, then your dependencies, and then your mission impact analysis. And all that's done via crown jewels, which I'm gonna discuss. What you could do um, if you really wanna flesh out, you know, what mitigations sh should I put in play? What defenses sh should I put in play? What dollars should I spend? you can start to fuse in cyber threat intelligence. Um, so I think you guys are familiar with MITRE's attack framework. Um, so the adversarial attack techniques and common knowledge base. So it's like literally, think of it as a adversarial playbook uh, that the corporations develop from OSINT that shows what our threat actors could potentially do to exploit technology. 
We have one for enterprise systems, we have one for mobile systems, and we also have one for industrial control systems, right? So I support the industrial control systems cell. Uh, but what I'm trying to get at is, after you've identified your crown jewels, you can start to put in the attack framework and start to really understand what threat actors can do to contest the domain, right? What TTPs are at play? What TTPs are, are actually viable? Another thing I don't have the liberty to really talk about, but after you figure out how your crown jewels could be exploited, each TTP and attack has a set of mitigation strategies, right? Um, which is the last cell, the mitigation techniques. So you could do some cyber risk remediation analysis to really figure out which mitigations are viable and feasible within an environment. Um, so there's also analysis for that as well. But don't have time to really talk about it. So what is crown jewels analysis? Um, so a crown jewel uh, is a logic or non-logic bearing device whose failure or failure to perform as intended causes one or more missions objectives to fail. So a crown jewel could be a logic bearing device, it could be a computer, it could be a HMI, uh, it could also be non-logic bearing. There are cases where crown jewels could be a human. Um, so I have a story for that. Um, so there's a element within the Navy called NAFAC they're the component that supports Navy's critical infrastructure um, within worldwide, right? So there's NAFAC cells within CONUS, OCONUS, and overseas. I'm doing um, classification hula hoops. So I was called to provide crown jewels for ICS at, on a weapon system. Long story short, we figured out that one of the crown jewels was a human because he was the only person, one person that knew what was going on from a water system standpoint. So if that person, <laughs> if something happened to him, that would be a bad day, right? So really the remediation is, he needs to be doing knowledge transfer. He needs to be mentoring others <laughs> right now, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, there's, there's certain exploits you can do on humans, right? Um, there's a lot of information about information operations, right? On how to manipulate uh, people's ability to just think and just operate, right? What's stopping a threat actor from relaying an information op on that one person we identified as a crown jewel? That would be a bad day, right? Especially during crisis types of scenarios. Something to think about. Um, so just know from a crown juice analysis standpoint, it fuses um, established techniques called AHP, which is the analytic hierarchy process, quality function deployment, and failure modes and effects analysis. So it's a fused analysis used to reflect what's critical within the complexity of system systems. That's really what it is. Um, and luckily, I've been able to apply it to critical infrastructure, which is great. So um, here's some definitions. Um, so just know from a conceptual standpoint, uh, there's four layers, right? So you have your mission objectives. So these are pretty much, you know, what is the system's purpose? What is its intent, right? That's gonna go at the top. The next tier is your operational or human task. So, you know, from a human standpoint, 
What, is their, what are their goals? How do they support the mission objectives? You can lay it out in, an, in actual notes. The next tier is your system functions. What's the function of the logic or non-logic bearing device? What's its intent? And how does that support the human's operational task? And then your last tier is your asset, right? So that could be a human, that could be an actual controller, that can be an HMI, it could be technology. What are the things that's really driving your mission from a technical and non-technical standpoint? So it's four tiers. So if you can imagine, right, it's literally a two-dimensional graph, right, of nodes and edges, and you can connect them. And I'm, I'll go over that. Um, CJA helps us answer the basic question, right, how do failures from a technical and non-technical standpoint impact mission objectives? Very simple, right? So what you do is, um, and I skip steps, after you've established your mission objectives, you know, what's the purpose of the system? How is it enabling, uh, let's say for instance, a mission social task for an op plan or whatever. After you've um, established your mission objectives, what are the operational tasks, right? What's the human's task to support that mission set, right? and then you start to draw those dependencies. Then, after you've laid out your operational tasks, then you start to answer the question from a technical standpoint, from a system function standpoint, how do these system functions support the human to then support the actual mission set? And then you do the same thing from a cyber asset standpoint. So, Really what we're doing is, if you can imagine, right, we're basically building a digital blueprint of a system in its purpose, right? Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is, if you can imagine, uh, with a lot of complex systems, the core knowledge of how that system operates can be embedded in human's brain, and they're not really documenting it, right? So this is also a way to record uh, how systems work in case something were to happen with that person that knows how the system works. You can translate that. You can basically pass it on to someone, a new hire, right? It's a great way to translate knowledge of how systems work. We need to be doing this now. <laughs> so, yep. So, what I'm planning to talk about is like what types of documents that's needed to support the analysis. Uh, so, uh, system specification documents are great. Networking diagrams are also great. So we fuse that with also information about the system operators. We fuse all that together, right, to basically build this graphic. Uh, what, I'm, what I don't have the liberty to show is the actual tool. So the tool, uh, uh, so there's two versions of the tool. You could do it in Excel, um, ran by Macros. There's also a web-based version, right? But what you could do with this knowledge is you could start to play failure analysis. What happens if this asset fell? How does it impact my mission, right? You can start to play those types of scenarios. Um, so, but yeah. Yes, sir. Standard, uh, you know, various risk assessment, assessment methodologies that are used, whether it's fault tree analysis, like an FNEA analysis, because you've got this infinite number of potential issues. Mm -hmm. And how do you rank order them? Mm -hmm. What do you, you have? Is it anything, when you talked about your Excel spreadsheet, is it similar to those? Yes. So, yeah, and you hit the, 
nail on the, um, the, the, the other head. There's, there's literally infinite ways to cause an impact. Uh, so we do have defined impacts of how we bound all those. Uh, we do it through four tiers. So uh, there's, you know, obviously the first tier is your nominal. So if, I, if a certain scenario were to fail or were to occur, what's the impact? It could be nominal. It could also be a workaround, right? So if it were to happen, and there is an actual workaround in place. The next one is degradation, right? So it may not cause an actual failure, but it can cause an actual degradation. And then obviously the next tier is your actual failure. Like if it happens, like it's gonna actual fail. So we, the analysis to run this is all automated. It's what we call the mission impact analysis, uh, which is another function um, that's part of the actual process. It will actually enumerate all that, all the failures within these nodes to figure out um, what, which is the actual crown jewel. So by definition, if you have failures within these tiers and if you can connect them with the actual dependency graphic, by definition, the actual asset is a crown jewel. So this is an example of showing how you have a failure here, a failure here, a failure here, and a failure here, they're all connected. So if you can trace it down, that would be a crown jewel, and that would be the asset that you would need to protect. Yes, sir. I have a question. Um, it appears that you're applying this to, a, I'll give an example, like a power producer, a power company, or something like that, that you're going in, you're, you're applying this, this methodology to. Do you bring in the um, control system provider and those cyber assets the main assets into this conversation? Yes, and it's also important to scope it too, right? So I got a great example. If we're talking about, let's say, a weapon system, you're likely not going to, the power provider is likely not gonna know what that weapon system is. <laughs> so it's also important to scope it but you may have personnel that know about how power is related to that weapon system, so you can pick their brains, right? Um, so it really depends on the scope of the actual assessment. Um, I will say that we do get various, it's, what's really important for this type of analysis is to get different perspectives. So it's important to get perspectives from the management tier, from the operational tier, and from the actual engineering technician tier. We get all those perspectives because in a lot of cases, they don't communicate, they don't talk, right? So we get all the perspectives and we fuse it in the tool so you have a more objective view of really what's going on within your system. You can, you can, you can, uh, but you know, there's also that trade-off Depending on how deep you go, it prolongs the time of analysis. <laughs> so it's like, before the analysis is even taking place, it's really important to scope it. So you can go down to the pin set, all the way down to like the systems view, right? Really depends. This is an example, like a high level example of a dependency graphic on a power distribution system, right? So, Cyber assets could be the OTIT gateway, right? It could be the actual networking switch that's basically translating comms between IT networking protocols versus OT networking protocols, right? 
there have been cases where those could be potential crown jewels because if that could, could if a third actor could compromise that type of control, how can an operator relay traffic or relay a control to the actual breaker to enable electricity, right? I mean, it's, it could happen. Um, another example could be actual main switch, but if we go up to the system functions, right, we start to define what is the purpose of the actual cyber asset. You can enumerate that. Then operational tasks, right, that could be a monitoring distribution status could be an operational task. Um, there's also others. But then mission objectives, you know, what's the purpose of a power distribution system? Provide electrical services, right? Provide safe services, provide reliable services, provide quality services. Um, those, these are actual real um, examples of an actual power distribution system's missions, right? Um, what I haven't shown is within the analysis, there's this periodicity of time to where we're literally ranking mission objectives amongst one another, right? So it's also, you can use the tool for intelligence gathering as well. There have been cases, so what NAFAC, which I talked about, they also use the analysis to really profile how each of the various NAFAC cells, like what they consider important. There have been cases where in certain areas in CONUS, the folks may may consider provide electrical services as important, but there are other cases where they may consider providing safe services as like the most critical one. So it's also a way from a strategic standpoint to profile um, how folks, uh, what, how folks, uh, what they deem as important and critical. Here's an example, something I also didn't talk about is um, Crown Jewels is technology independent um, I've seen cases where Crown Jewels was applied to space systems, weapon systems. I'm giving, this is, this is really focused on control systems, but um, you can actually apply it to decision making. Um, so it's technology agnostic, you can apply it anywhere, um, especially for complex things. This is an example of a bidding automation system, right? Really bidding automation systems, the systems that enable ventilation, cooling, heating, um, so we actually had a conversation about <laughs> how ventilation systems are important in the health sector, right? So for certain medications, vaccines, it needs to be cool. Um, so what happens if, um, yes, sir? Sorry, you probably already answered this. Yeah. But what defines a cyber asset? So a cyber asset could be a um, logic or non-logic bearing device, right? So it's it's... I'm scoping it to cyber assets, but you know you can make it more broad and just call it an asset. I think it's it's fair to just call it an asset. So it could be a logic or non-logic bearing device. Um, there are cases where assets could be an actual human, right? So it's the thing that is literally driving um, an actual mission objective, right? From either a technology or non-technology standpoint, and it's the thing that could be exploited. Is there a potential to also apply it to a framework, an operational framework, for instance? There's been, yes, there's been conversations about applying crown jewels around supply chain and manufacturing, right? So, you know, and we noticed that, hey, we have a problem with supply during COVID. Um, 
there's a lot of processes and hands that go into delivering a product to a customer. In a lot of cases, it's not being tracked. <laughs> In a lot of cases, we often don't know what's important with all those processes. So yeah, you could apply crown jewels to a complex process, um, depending on the actual scope. Here's a high-level overview on the various phases within the analysis. So really, the first phase is scoping. It's really important to scope um, what this analysis is really focused on. Um, so as I said, you can focus it to the actual pinouts to a particular chip that's enabling the actual platform, or you can apply it to an overall process, right? So it's really important to scope where this analysis is being focused towards. Um, we like to really, to increase the fidelity of analysis, we like to request a site tour. It's really good to get a physical perspective on what's going on with an actual system, because in a lot of cases within assessments, you're just getting the digital view of what humans um, um, you know, have analyzed. It's really good to back it up with an actual physical tour, so you're actually seeing it for yourself. You get a different perspective, because a lot of cases, Things that you see often aren't reported, just for example. Um, we basically hoard uh, existing data artifacts, so specification diagrams. Uh, we're basically, uh, there are cases where we may just trace wires, right? If uh, we're seeing an actual networking diagram and we don't, we have that sense where, I don't think this is how this is supposed to work. We, there are cases where we'll actually go in and trace wires, uh, just, just to verify uh, what's being assessed is actually um, documented correctly on paper. Um, let's see, uh, we also provide a questionnaire to really fill in the gaps. Um, and we also de uh, develop preliminary models and mission-focused mission architectures. So what a mission-focused architecture is, so let's just say, for instance, a power distribution system or a one-line diagram on a power distribution system. It's huge because you're seeing like how the power distribution system supports literally everything. But what if I'm focused on power distribution to a particular weapon system, right? Or power distribution focused on a critical asset that's enabling a weapon system, right? Where are those architectures? Usually they don't exist. <laughs> So what we do is, depending on the scope of the crown jewels, we may provide a mission-focused architecture that may, that may be what the customer is really seeking. I just want you know, an architecture focused on something that I am protecting. We can provide that with the analysis, it's easy. Anyway, phase two is really the verif verification phase. So this is where we work with the customers, SMEs, and operators and technicians. Uh, to really verify our cognitive understanding of what we saw in the scoping phase. And then we also prevent a initial mission-focused mission artifacts for verification. So this is really verification. Hey, does this look right? Am I understanding this correctly? Is this what the system's intent for, right? Um, and this helps increase our confidence as we move over to the next phase, which is really the modeling phase. Um, so this is where we refine and we're adding fidelity to the actual Crown Jewels model. We're also um, in a space hosting a scoring workshop. So we will actually 
from our understanding of the actual system, we will literally fail each of the nodes to get an understanding of its impact. And as I said, right, that failing is all automated. It's within this analysis called mission impact analysis, uh, right? So it's all automated. Um, and then we present the preliminary results for feedback. And then the fourth phase is reporting. Um, so here's some example um, questions used for information gathering. And I'm, um, if you guys don't have this Slack deck, I'm happy to provide it you know, via LinkedIn or I don't know if Bea is gonna be providing decks, <laughs> but I'm happy to share it. This is all been released by the Model Corporation. So, uh, so here's some example questions used for information gathering and intel gathering, right? So for developing and populating the Kyron-Jules model, we, we may ask, you know, is there an OT functional specification describing the system functions involved with supporting missions, right? Baselining questions. Um, the point of the matter is we're getting various perspectives. We're going to the field, we're getting information there, we're basically getting understanding what's already been assessed, right? We're tracing wires, um, and we fuse that to actually create the actual model. We may have some customers that want us to run a counter intel op, right, focused on the crown jewels that have been assessed. So we may, you know, play a certain threat actor based off of what we know from our intel agencies to really provide a customer understanding, hey, you know, from threat actor X, right, this is what they could potentially do based off of what we know from their TTPs, right? We may have customers that will ask us for that type of analysis, and usually that type of analysis is obviously, obviously classified. Yes, sir? Um, so you mentioned customers a couple times. Like, yeah. It's an extremely complex problem. Um, yeah. Obviously, like DOD, I would assume Department of Homeland Security. Uh-huh. Um, how do you prioritize the crown jewels of the crown jewels so that you can make sure, like, you know, the most mission essential? Because there, there's a Time associated with this, right? There is. There is. I'm, I'm assuming it's not just who's paying the money, it's also within MITRE as a bigger corporation, like yep. the top top ones get the most Within our reporting, we tell them from our recommendations of what they need to prioritize, but we're not responsible for influencing their decisions on what they prioritize. That's, that's the customer's decision. Um, so if you can imagine, um, uh, since you work for the service, um, there's an annual periodicity time to where services are palming for dollars, right? For mitigations, for protections, for this overall defense. Crown jewels could be used as a tool to pump for those dollars because now you have data to back up your claims. Hey, I want to mitigate this asset because of this analysis. And hey, I have data to back it up, right? Instead of saying, I think <laughs> I should be mitigating this asset because I think <laughs> certain, you, you have data, <laughs> right? Um, and that's what's, that's what we're trying to drive. We're trying to enable our customers to back up their claims with actual data and intel. Here's an example of a mission-focused architecture. So, as I was saying before, right, 
you're looking at like a one-line diagram or a network diagram of a literature distribution system, it's huge. But what if I wanted something just more focused? So a load here could be your critical asset. It could be a weapon system platform. It could be an actual facility, right? I may have customers that just want all the data flows focused, just, just focus on the thing that they're trying to protect. We can provide these types of graphics, right? To kind of show them how either data gets flowed to the particular asset from a focused stovepipe perspective. So they're not overwhelmed with, you know, the actual broad systems view of what's going on. Um, and this is a byproduct of the overall crown jewels analysis, right? So from the crown jewels and from the model, you can develop these types of architectures. That's really mission focused. So, you know, going back to this conversation of like subjectivity, right? Um, you know, when we're talking about a system, you know, it's really maintained by various folks. They may have their conceptual view of how the system operates. And, and when I said those folks, I'm talking managers, the operators, the engineers, and to technicians, right? So they have their views of how the system operates, but realistically, they're not talking, <laughs> right? And that can confuse folks from a outside perspective of what, you know, how the system works and how it's operating. So what I'm trying to share is that with Crown Jewels, we get all the perspectives. We're talking, we may have to be the glue that talks to all those tiers to get an understanding of how the system works. Um, and it's a way to manage subjectivity because the mission owner may have their understanding of how the system, which may be different from how the engineer or technician that is boots on ground managing the system may be totally different, right? So it's really important to manage subjectivity from a collaborative standpoint by talking to all the people that maintain the system. And that's how you increase the objectivity. Yes, sir. And do you have a way of um, uh, measuring success or validating, validating your success through third-party assessments when you're done with your engagement? So it's coming. Um, it's, it's coming, right. So we've been, it's, it's coming. Um, let me give you an example. So in 2017, Congress told DOD to evaluate the critical infrastructure, right? So it was through an NDAA section 1650. Um, so from my standpoint, and I was actually part of the assessments, right? It's no discussion. So I have all those assessments. And some of those assessments, which I can't talk about, um, I have customers that, okay, we did this assessment, but we really don't know what's important. This is where you have crown jewels. I'm anticipating Congress is going to tell DOD to reevaluate uh, the critical infrastructure to see if, if risk had been reduced. And then that's where I'll answer it. So it's, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Because this analysis told my customers what they need to focus on for mitigations. And so 
where DODs in this stage of the mitigation phase, they know what the risk is, they know what the vulnerabilities are, they know what threat actors are targeting certain systems, and what DOD is doing from an unclassified standpoint is they're mitigating. They're figuring out where to focus the dollars. So we're gonna find out when Congress tells DOD to reevaluate their actual systems. So it's, it's coming. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I'm just, I'm like literally on the edge, just. <laughs> Here's some references. Um, so just know that, you know, Crown Jewels, the overall analysis is public source information. Um, I recently just published of the application towards ICS. Um, so it's out there, out in the open web. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Dragos, um, so I partner with Dragos on a lot of things. We actually did a um, actual webinar on Crown Jewels for ICS, and it's an actual webinar video. So if you guys want to learn more about it from a MITRE and Dragos perspectives, which are two totally separate organizations, we actually worked together to, because we were doing the same things, right? So the conversation is how our analysis differ, but how it's supporting the same thing. Um, so if you guys are interested in that video, check it out. Um, information on uh, the attack knowledge base. I know Jamie Wims providing information on attack for ICS last year during BEA. So Jamie and I actually work together a lot of cases, right? So I support the ICS cell. Jamie's at the enterprise, but we're all on the same team. So, but yeah, uh, I think I'm out of time. Just more information about myself, but it was a pleasure. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> yes. And it also depends on how, let's say, for instance, MITRE is embedded within the customer space, that we will get that type of information. So in some cases, we'll give them our recommendations of what they need to protect, and then it goes into this black hole, and that's it. In other cases, we may have other folks that's working for the customer where we can question them on, okay, how well did they use the analysis? Is it influencing their decision making? So we can ask those types of questions. So it, it depends. Um, another factor that is also dependent is how often the system of interest is assessed. So in some cases, some systems, they get assessed annually. Other cases, it could be quarterly, right? Um, like the, haven't, haven't shared it yet, but it's literally, I call it the assessment life cycle, right? So you start with the intel gathering phase, and then you do, you assess the risk, and then you understand the risk, and then you get into the mitigations, and then it keeps going, right? And that cyclic view depends on how well the customer is resourced. <laughs> so if they, have, if they have a lot of dollars, they have a lot of money, it's pretty fast if they don't. You know, if they're not staff and they have uh, lack of resourcing, could be slow. So it's a lot of factors. But my applications, I've been able to ask those types of questions. And I've actually been seeing it, seeing how certain crown jewels were protected. Um, so, but I have to ask those questions. It also depends on trust. So there's a lot of factors. But yes, they ask your question, yes.
<laughs> yes, there has to be that accountability, right? We gave you the recommendations, okay, are you using them? It has to be that accountability function, so, yeah. Yes, sir. So, um, you started to talk off by saying industrial control systems were not built um, to withstand cyber attacks. That just wasn't their mission. Let's go with the terminology you're using. That wasn't their mission, hmm? right? Uh, is that changing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Regulations are going to require cyber assets to be cyber hardened. Yep. So here's another thing. So I've been, <laughs> I'm a nerd, right? So prior to the, to the pandemic, I've been noticing a lot of vendors and manufacturers, they've been staffing up folks that have cybersecurity backgrounds. So they know, <laughs> the re the, at the time, they knew regulations were coming, policy was coming, right? So they needed to staff folks. Uh, what folks often don't talk about is the technologies that enable control systems, they have longer life cycles. So when are we gonna start to see cyber on control systems? It's gonna be a while, like 10, 20 years, because of the life cycle of the system. Like after it hits the acquisition phase and since it's same, it's just sitting there. And it's just doing its job. So we're gonna to start to see those cyber hard and cyber secure types of technologies getting embedded after it ends the life cycle. And that's, so we're just, <laughs> we're in this phase now where we're just like, I hope to God <laughs> that actor doesn't do anything bad. <laughs> so, and there's, there's ways to go around it, right? So if we have to wait 10, 20 years for a hardened system to get in the acquisition lifecycle, we can start to integrate detection technologies, right? That will give INW indicators of warnings to alert folks. We can do that now, right? And we don't have to go through a whole 10, 20 year life cycle to do it. We can start to embed that right now, right? So we can start to make those decisions. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm tracking. I'm tracking, so. But yeah, I've been noticing a lot of vendors, they've been staffing up a lot of cyber talent. Um, and that's another problem in itself. We lack, in a lot of cases, our country lacks certain staffing when it comes to cybersecurity. That's why you're seeing a lot of the demand signals are super high right now. We're at a workforce shortage right now. So, I'm tracking. <laughs> My anecdotal brain is telling me that we're gonna to start to see more fusion between these tiers because of ease of use. So we're gonna to start to see, for instance, technologies being developed that fuse level four and three together because it's easy and it makes things more easy to operate and um, fix and mitigate, et cetera. So what I'm showing you is like what's happening now, but to answer your question, I'm anticipating a lot of fusion between these layers with technologies and beta systems that operate as a level two, three, and one in one device, right? Which saves the customer dollars and <laughs> increases the manufacturer's income, right? I'm, yeah, so I'm anticipating fusion. I was wondering how much of your assessment depends on uh, in individual interviews how much of it can be, because that can be a pain 
It can be. How, how much of it is or can be automated so you can avoid having to do all that? That's happening right now. So right now, um, it's semi-manual. So we, and it also depends, because if you imagine we're talking to operators, they're busy, right? They may not have time to dedicate a whole hour to understand what the system is. So there are times where we may have to eavesdrop and just record. Um, there's development within MITRE that's focused on automating this process. So we may just basically give them a survey um, on top of just eavesdropping or just observing how they operate to really decrease the time of intel gathering. So that's happening right now um, to just make it easier on folks because we have to be cognizant that operators, they're busy, and they're not as well as resource as we think they are, <laughs> right? So we have to bear in mind of their schedules. Um, so yeah, but it's happening right now. More focus on automating our overall process. Is there work uh, being done, working with like systems engineers and systems security engineers for the programs and records that are being developed now to kind of incorporate this in their like, engineering process? Yes, so I can't think of the actual, I can only speak for DOD. There's a DOD instruction within the 5,000, I think it's 5200.44, don't quote me on this one, I think that's what it is, that talks about how the services need to undergo criticality analysis within their assessments. The problem is, and this is where it gets complex, the instructions doesn't inform them what criticality analysis they should focus on, right? So it's just open to the service on what criticality analysis they can just pick and choose from. Crown Jewels is just one of many. <laughs> but there are instructions and policy that tell certain government elements to undergo critical analysis. The problem is no one is telling them which analysis to pick and choose from. It's, it's up to the service. For instance, DOD is up to the service. It's up to Air Force, Space Force, Navy, Army to pick and choose what analysis, critical analysis, they need to undergo through. So, but yeah, they're supposed to do critical analysis. But no one is telling them which one. I think that's what it is, 5244, 5244. I'm gonna research it. I have to also keep up to date with policy within DOD, my other tasks. In your experience, like communications protocols, like uh, Canvas, Perfect Foundation, which one have you like found that's the most vulnerable? <laughs> oh. <laughs> All depending on how you explode. Oh, that's it. No, no, that's a good question. It see, it depends on the adversary's competency on how exploitable the protocol is. So, if we're talking about like a tier six, like the highest of the highest adversary, yeah, it's going to be pretty simple. If we're talking about like a novice adversary may be hard. Um, I can share with you that when I was at Sandia, I used to get like questions all the time. Um, so I used to 
get technologies from customers. They'll give me a system. I could share this. The system operated with BACnet over IP, right? So BACnet is an open source protocol used for heating and ventilation systems, right? BACnet is easy to exploit because it relays, not only relays traffic on, out in the open, but none of the comms are encrypted, right? None of the comms are encrypted, and there's also not a lot of verification, so the sky's the limit. Depending on how accessible I can touch it is dependent on what I could potentially do, right? So if I had like actual on-net access, I can do anything I want. Um, I'm trying to answer your question. It, it depends on the adversary's competency and how well they know the protocol operates. Also depends on how resourced they are. So if they're not resource, they're at limitations. If they have a lot of dollars, they could do weird things. They can start to do like their own covert channels. They can start to embed their own malware in certain things without you know, the customer or operator's understanding on the actual system, right? They can start to do ransomware types of stuff, <laughs> weird stuff that the protocol was never intended to do. Your assessments assume that they have physical access? So for, if we're not talking about crown jewels, um, they have the physical access, because sometimes even these questions, yeah. it's a higher level of threat if they have physical access uh -huh. to the network, which is not connected to the internet, so they can't get to it if they're outside, but if they somehow get inside. Yeah. Whole different story. It is a whole different story. Um, I'm also a believer that just because a system is air-gapped doesn't mean an adversary can maintain persistence, right? So there's certain folks that think, my system is air-gapped, I'm protected. I'm like, how is the system getting updated? <laughs> you know, are you using a CD drive, a thumb drive? Okay. If you are, are you validating what you are integrating in a system is checked, right? Are you just trusting that it came from a reliable source? <laughs> so there's, there's ways. Um, and I'm not even going to get started with the adversaries that think outside the box. Like, so it's, my best practice is to always assume a system is compromised and just really focus on if I were to be exploited, if I were to be targeted, how would I operate? How do I continue operations? So I, I assume compromise um, because what often happens is people start to have those conversations after the fact. And I'm like, we could be doing work now for preparation. To your earlier point about using, you know, techniques like failure more and effective analysis, criticality analysis, which are, you know, looking to prevent incidents down the road. I'm interested to know more about how, you know, what the applicability of that would be in the healthcare, um, or even, um, you know, the financial system um, to prevent those types of incidents from, and so they build it into the system. Yes. Yeah. 
We're so accustomed to building processes that we often don't think about the most important processes we need to protect. And I'm more on the line of we need to focus on the latter before we start integrating things. What, what types of processes do we need to really focus in on for protecting? And then we can build around it. Um, so before you came in, we started to talk about the universal applicability of crown jewels. You could, so for instance, this brief is focused on technology, but you can focus it on actual processes, right? Um, so out of this super complex process, what are these sub-processes that I really need to focus in on for protection? You can apply crown jewels analysis towards that effect. So yeah. And you can apply to healthcare systems. Healthcare systems is supported by a lot of systems. So you can, and I have to also ask, like, within your customers, are they documenting the supply chains of those processes, right? To really figure out, you know, if this process were to fail, where are the impacts, right? Um, they need to start documenting that because we often get into those types of conversations after the compromise. We're going to be doing that lead work now for defense and for resilience. We're out of time. <laughs> I can entertain more questions outside of Dover. I don't know who has this room, um, but it's been a pleasure. Um, again, I'm Cedric, I work for MITRE. Uh, thank you. <laughs>